Today's sponsor is Kindred Bravely, a brand that came to life in 2015 by Deanne Akerson, a mom of two, when she couldn't find any comfortable and functional pajamas while nursing her second son. She decided to design her own, and this led to one of their best-selling pajama sets, the Davy Nursing and Maternity Pajamas. As moms, we have to stick together, which is where Kindred comes from. And Bravely, being a mom can be tough. It's not for the faint of heart. It takes courage and bravery, right? Kindred Bravely is devoted to making life easier for pregnant and nursing moms. From breast pads and non-skid socks to nursing bras and pajamas, Deanne creates every piece with comfort, beauty, and function in mind. And her designs have been recognized by parent-tested, parent-approved, the Cribsy Awards and the Mom's Choice Awards. Behind the scenes, Kindred Bravely employs more than two dozen work-at-home moms who share Deanne's mission and values. Along with delivering top-of-the-line clothing, the KB moms provide incredible customer service, share quality content, and engage with social media communities. Use my exclusive promo code MOMSENSE20 to save 20% off your purchase at kindredbravely.com. Some exclusions may apply. Realistically, people tend not to deal with infertility until they find out they're infertile. Right? Yeah. It's not really a conversation you have or that you expect to have prior to. So it's always shocking. On paper, definition-wise, infertility means anyone who's been trying for over a year and cannot become pregnant naturally. Men, unfortunately, are not tested as often. So a lot of times the onus come on the come to the woman. And so there's a lot of shame and grief that comes up with that because we're told from the very beginning, if you think about it, since you're a child, you're pushing strollers, you have a baby and you're taking care of your baby when you're a baby. If you hope to be pregnant someday, we understand your anticipation and anxiety. If you're pregnant right now, we get that you're nervous, excited, and just want to feel prepared. If you've lost your little one, we feel your pain, which never goes away, and want to help heal your broken heart. And if you were neglected, we want to take up for your cause. This is the birthing series on That's Total Mom Sense, where I'll be speaking with experts on labor and delivery, loss and advocacy. Listen in. Today, we are unearthing all the things related to pregnancy that aren't so peachy, from infertility to postpartum depression to miscarriage and stillbirth. These are the gut-wrenching experiences many of us have had to face and may not know where or how to seek help. Here are some stats. Women with infertility can feel as anxious or depressed as those diagnosed with cancer. Up to 20% of women experience prenatal or postpartum depression, and postpartum anxiety affects 20% of first-time moms. 10 to 15% of women experience depression during pregnancy, but it often goes untreated. Half of the women experience significant distress following a miscarriage, and also one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, and one in 160 babies are stillborn. Today, I am joined by Neka Simister, who is a psychotherapist and licensed social worker. 
Neka is a licensed social worker based in New York, specializing in helping women and couples who suffer with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, miscarriage, and loss. After years of working with people with all types of diagnoses, Neka decided to specifically work with perinatal diagnoses when realizing the huge deficit in mental health awareness and services for women who suffer from these disorders. In her work, Ms. Simister uses multiple techniques to best serve her clients, including cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, interpersonal therapy, and EMDR. Within the Selene Institute, she offers evidence-based maternal mental health trainings to help providers properly diagnose and treat perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, as well as perinatal loss and grief. Ms. Semester has over a decade of experience helping families build and strengthen their relationships. Her past work includes supporting diverse patients in underserved populations, including inner city residents and the LGBTQIA community. She also has an extensive background working with fathers, especially utilizing the latest research in human behavior to help patients enhance their relationships with their children and increase positive communication in co-parenting efforts. Nika, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're so, so welcome. Okay, let's start from your childhood because I feel like that really lays the foundation and we're going to understand you better um, as a person and expert from there? Uh, my childhood was fairly normal, I think, for most clinicians. So one, I want to say most people who go into this field tend to have some type of trauma of some sort in their background. And so, but I am from Antigua, West Indies, and coming from an immigrant background, coming here, I had like, you know, my job was school. So I mm-hmm. was like based on education and worked really hard. I was raised in the Bronx. Um, so I'm from New York City. I did most of my work in the Bronx. Um, and now I kind of work in all the boroughs. I grew up with my dad, my dad, my stepmom. Um, and I don't know, it was, I went to Catholic school. It was, it was fairly normal. But I, I will say that this was not a field that my parents expected me to go in. Right. Um, it's not, especially from a West Indian background, therapy was not something that as a culture we necessarily understood or believed in. So, you know, we laugh about it now, but kind of jokingly, my dad used to kind of just be like, this is not a real job. <laughs> um, you're just nosy. Very proud. But back then, it was definitely not a career um, that they understood. Um, yes. Really supported. Um, and that was it. And then I, I actually right into college. I always knew I wanted to do this since I was a kid. I was one of those kids that were like, People would just talk to me very easily and adults would come to me and ask me questions. I was kind of always told that I was like an old soul. And so I was smart enough to recognize where my talents laid. And I was like, this is easy for me. Uh, people like talking to me. This just makes sense for me to go into this field. During college, my first job, my undergrad, my first job was working with girls who cut themselves in a home like I went right in for like the hardest population yes Um, (laughs) and then I did that work and then I I worked a nonprofit in the Bronx for a couple of years and then I went back to school to get my master's and then eventually became licensed I continued 
to work with clinics and then I eventually I went into my own practice. Um, wow, good for you. Yeah, but all the work I've done has been around family and individuals, right? So that was my training. And I worked with fathers. I worked in foster care. I worked all over and, um, and I worked with mothers and I kind of understood for me anyway, that the mother was kind of the crux of the family. And so it just made sense to really hone in on this population and taking care of mothers and their birthing experiences, because that kind of lays the foundation to what family life will look like in the future. Um, Well, I want to start with infertility, which is a very common theme in, in families who are, you know, hopeful parents, you know, nobody really talks about it. And I think that's where we should start because, you know, like you said, it's kind of the beginning on, on someone's, uh, journey to becoming a family. And, and when it doesn't work out, it definitely affects mom and her partner, but mostly mom in, in a way that's earth shattering. So tell me about like your experience with patients who are going through infertility and how you help them navigate it. So infertility, it's interesting. Think about infertility as an umbrella, right? About 10% of all women um, suffer from infertility. And then when you think about people of color, that number increases just because we tend to have fibroids and other diagnoses that can lead to infertility, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not spoken about because realistically, people tend not to deal with infertility until they find out they're infertile, right? It's not really a conversation you have or that you expect to have prior to. So it's always shocking. On paper, definition-wise, infertility means anyone who's been trying for over a year and cannot become pregnant naturally. Men, unfortunately, are not tested as often. So a lot of times the onus come on the come to the woman. And so there's a lot of shame and grief that comes up with that because we're told from the very beginning, if you think about it, since you're a child, you're pushing strollers, you have a baby and you're taking care of your baby. When you're a baby, infertility can also come up when you think of same-sex relationships. They're not infertile, but they're not able to have children naturally in that sense. And so they fall under that umbrella and people really don't recognize that as an infertility issue. And so it's one of those things that people come to the door really just feeling grief, guilt, shame, and shock. What did I do? Should I have started earlier? What I didn't know this. I, you know, we don't a lot of times we don't know our family history around fertility, right? We're quicker to ask questions around diabetes. We really don't go in and say, Mom, how many miscarriages did you have if you had any? Unfortunately, not until recently. A lot of the work, again, falls on the mom. So you may have your partner come with you and they may test them once, but they're testing you constantly. And so, again, the messaging is I'm the problem. Is there any way to preempt? Because I love that you said how, you know, we don't really know our fertility history the way we know our vitals. So is there a way that a woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s onwards can kind of find out this information? Do they book an appointment with their OBGYN or something like that, just to kind of gain knowledge um, even before they start trying? No, unfortunately. So it's so interesting that you said that. I literally just spoke to OB last week and asked, can a person come to you and ask how many eggs can you find out how many eggs they have left? Since they say women have a finite amount of eggs. And yeah. she told me that was a myth. They no. can't do that unless you yeah, they track, they track, you know, your menstrual and how often it comes and if it comes on time and whether you have birth control, but there really isn't one kind of test that will tell you whether or not you're at risk for being infertile. 
they they look at several things, right? Again, right. have you suffered from any kind of sexual trauma? Have you had fibroids or yeah, with your tube? I mean, there's several yeah, PCOS, right? But yeah. and then it tells you about the risk, but it really isn't one thing that can say, you know what, you should try now, but you shouldn't. Mm, interesting. I really encourage people to speak to their family members. That's good. That's good. I think that that's at least one. Um, point of reference to give you yeah, that information siblings and your cousins and your mother and your grandparents and believe it or not there tends to be a thing in most cases unfortunately a lot of times people find out after the fact right, right. so mm-hmm. now they've had unfortunately three miscarriages and then someone will say me too or your mother uh-huh. will say i had that too before you and your you, you know you came and and that's unfortunately usually when the topic comes up uh, what are the different types of miscarriages and loss that we should kind of be aware of? So you have, you know, your regular miscarriage, which one in three women suffer from miscarriage. So I want to be clear about that. Miscarriages are really happen often and they're not indicative of whether or not you can have a full pregnancy later. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most important thing because people tend to think I've had a miscarriage. I must have infertility issues. That is not the case. Right. Yeah. So your body tends to take care of itself. And if something is not right, your body will then terminate that pregnancy. Yeah. So you have that. You have like your ectopic pregnancies. Mm-hmm. You have your um, it's called a blighted where you have um, the sack, but there's no there's no egg in the sack. Interesting. You know? But then you also have medical terminations. Right. So first of all, any pregnancy prior to two weeks is going to consider a miscarriage. Right. Anytime it's after 20 weeks is considered a stillbirth. OK. Oh, I didn't realize that. You don't necessarily have to push it out for it to be a stillbirth. OK. Anything after 20 weeks is considered a stillbirth because your child ideally can live after 20 weeks. Ah, uh, uh-huh. that makes yeah. sense. And yeah, you're at the halfway mark pretty much. Right. Right. What you have to terminate where you're at risk. Or, or your child's at risk. And that usually gets determined after certain tests in your second trimester. And that's really difficult because those are really late terminations, but necessary terminations. And in those cases, a lot of times the parents would have liked to have given birth, right? That wasn't just like a lackadaisical decision. Right. Um, again, either they were at risk or their child was at risk um, of dying within the first year or six months of suffering in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think a lot of people think about that as far as as miscarriage yeah. right? because they see it as a choice but it really isn't did you know there's an organizing app designed just for families named a must-have mobile app on the today show cozy is an app to help families who are juggling school schedules practices meetings doctor's appointments and even helps them schedule a workout or a date night Here's how it works. Cozy tracks everyone's schedules and events in one place with a shared color-coded calendar. Cozy even reminds others about events so you don't have to. No more missed pickups or double bookings. It's easy to get started. You can even pull in events from your family's personal work and school calendars. Cozy helps with other things on your plate too. The shared grocery list lets the whole family add items in real time, and you'll never find yourself at the store without the list. It's always on your phone and up to date. If you need help figuring out dinner, there's even a place to store recipes and plan meals ahead. The best part? It's free. 
Just download Cozy Family Organizer from the App Store, and that's spelled C-O-Z-I, and get the free app today. You all know I love being organized, using calendars to sync up and labels so you never drop the ball. Cozy up with Cozy to keep you and your family on track. Now let's talk about how miscarriages lead to depression. One third of the women who suffer recurrent miscarriages will experience clinical depression. And I mean, that's just a correlation that's, I feel like obvious, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, how is that treated? Well, it, see, it depends. So what I like about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, why we just have that long title for this, mm-hmm. <laughs> is because at one point we were only treating patients after postpartum, right? After birth. And we recognize that patients are depressed and have anxiety during birth. During pregnancy, they also have it prior to pregnancy. So that's what we have to look at. One, we have to look at history, right? Do you have a history of depression or anxiety? That's going to increase the likelihood of you suffering from PMADS, right? Your pregnancy itself, are you having a difficult pregnancy? Are you supported? Is this your first, second, third? How many miscarriages have you had? And then after, how do you care with that? So one, it's identifying the difference between baby blues and depression. So postpartum mm-hmm. depression looks like major depression, right? Okay. So that's one. So we have baby blues. Baby blues happens up until two weeks, right? 85% of mothers. Yeah. You expect that because your hormones are going back to the way they were, right? And so you expect to be teary-eyed, you expect to be, and you're exhausted, Right. You're adjusting mm-hmm. to this new role. All of those things are happening. So you really feel emotionally unstable during that time. Postpartum depression happens usually after a few months up into a year. It really can't be diagnosed, though, until you've had the symptoms for six months, which is the problem, right? Because mothers usually go to their follow-up appointment a month later. Sometimes in that month, you can't determine whether or not it's baby blues or postpartum because it's only been a month. And then a lot of times I hear mothers say, I was fine for three months. And then all of a sudden I started to feel differently. What happened, right? It was because, you know, it took some time. Mm, What are some of the warning signs? Think about it this way. Baby blues happens in spurts and postpartum depression is long-term. So don't think about what type of symptoms, but how long you're having the symptoms. Mm, Are you crying all day? Are you so detached? Are you angry to the point where you can't get anything done, right? Are you unhappy? Are you unable to um, connect with your child? Do you feel unhappy with anything that would normally make you happy, right? Whereas baby blues, you may have an hour that you cry that day, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's more of a roller coaster. Right. (laughs) With PMAS, it's really more of a consistency. Okay. And um, very similar, right? Crying spells, anxiety. Believe it or not, postpartum anxiety um, is more common in postpartum depression. Oh, wow. Okay. And and how does that manifest? Because so, so people tend to look for like, I'm not really sad. I'm not sleeping a lot. I don't feel disconnected. The anxiety is I can't sleep when baby sleeps because I think if I sleep, my baby's going to pass away. So yeah. the anxiety tends to be a little bit uh, more common than the depression, which is why a lot of times people don't get help because they think about postpartum depression. Right. Postpartum anxiety. So they're like, I'm not sad. 
I don't have any symptoms. I don't feel great, but it's not that, right? Wow. And so think about PMAS, any mood and anxiety disorder. So it can be depression. It can be OCD. They can be psychosis, right? Now, postpartum psychosis only happens to about 2% of mothers. But those are the stories that get to the news. Uh And so then people look at those very extreme cases and say, I don't have depression because I don't want to hurt my child. Right, right. Yeah, those are the ones who end up murdering their babies. and Or, you know, I don't have some like, okay. Unfortunately, psychosis is what people look at when you think about depression or anxiety. How do you advise a mother and father or partner who um, has experienced stillbirth, how they can cope with that? So I think a lot of times it's about setting up appropriate boundaries. I think the misconception or what people think they should do is really get back to life right away. And that isn't what it is, you know. Anytime that we're experiencing any type of loss or grief, it's acute, right? Mm -hmm. And so we then see it everywhere. So usually if you experience some of the loss, every commercial is a baby commercial. Every TV show has babies. Every person on the corner is pushing a stroller. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's just how it works, right? All your friends are now pregnant. Your sister's now pregnant. That's how it works. And so there's this thing that happens where a shame comes, where you can't feel joy for other people. And then people tend to force themselves to be in a trigger, right? And so I usually say, don't go to baby showers right now. That's fine. You don't have to talk about it if you're not ready to. You don't have to throw everything away right away. I mean, really, it is what makes the most sense for Mm -hmm. parents. You can tell your social circle or the people that support you, you know, you'll let them know what you need. You really have to be really intentional about just stepping back a little bit to heal and reminding people the same way if you were to lose someone, a parent or a grandparent, no one expects you to get back to life in a week, right? It's, you know, so having the same expectation for a loss of the child should be expected. Yes. How are other ways that we can show support for, you know, a couple that has gone through this? I think the best way anyone could show support is by asking what they need and not making any assumptions. You know, we tend to support people based on the way that we feel supported, which is inaccurate, right? We need to ask our people, how can I help you? Sometimes sitting in silence is fine. Sometimes knowing that there's nothing you can do is good. Um, and also recognizing that their needs are going to change from day to day. So you might have someone say, I need you to check on me. And then you check on them every day and they say, don't check on me too much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Being okay with that and understanding that they're going through an emotional roller coaster and you might have to ride that roller coaster with them for a little while. But I really think it depends on the parents. But giving people, for couples specifically, you know, I really talk about them leaning into each other, right? It's really one of those experiences that affect them directly and no one else. I've seen it break up relationships, right? Because people tend to grieve differently. And if you don't understand how your partner grieves, you may think they're not grieving correctly or they don't care as much. And so having a lot of conversations about how grief looks differently for different cultures, for, for men and women, and how do you navigate that in a way where you're still holding space for each other. What are some causes that you are advocating for right now through your ongoing work? So I'm a huge fan of the Momnibus Act. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's a bill that has been um, pushed through, through this administration, which I would encourage everyone to have their congressperson vote for. Um, the Mommy Bus Act is basically a bill, uh, has so many bullets, but highlights would be 
you know, having uh, more money given to CBOs, right? Community-based organizations, having us to get, having, I say us always, but <laughs> members of society have more access to information from the mm-hmm. hospitals. As of today, you could not do any research and find out how many miscarriages a particular hospital has had to births. You can't find those numbers out, which I think is important when you want to choose your provider. A lot of times people choose their providers based on location, which is not bad, right? But also if the closest hospital to you has a really high rate of mortality, you should know that. Yeah. And right now the information is not um, accessible. Yeah. And Mommy Muslack also speaks a lot around incarcerated women and ensuring that incarcerated women are not handcuffed to the bed while giving birth, which is still a thing. Oh my gosh. So the Momnibus Act is like what I'm really pushing through right now. And then specifically in the Bronx, there's a foundation called Save a Rose Foundation where they are collecting money right now in order to open up a birthing center in the Bronx because there are a lot of high mortality mortality rates in the Bronx and we don't have any alternatives to the hospitals at this time. Okay. I always ask my guests this about their uh, mom sense moment. And what I I love and find intriguing about you is that um, you don't have kids yet, but you are almost like a mother figure to so many. And it's just, it's so beautiful. So, um, you know, you definitely have that mom sense in you, that, that intuition and superpower. So is there a time where you trusted that? you know, when it comes to your life or a patient? I get at least once a month, a patient who comes in, who wants help with whether they should terminate or not. And I think, and I think a lot of times in those moments, I have to follow my instincts and like talk to the parents and say, look, what's really happening and what's really coming up. And, And that's not learned in the book. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that you live by? I don't know if there's necessarily a quote, but there's an idea. I, I believe in um, autonomy. Mm-hmm. And I believe that if most people understood how much power they had, um, and how much autonomy they had in their lives, that um, we would be better off. Yes. Right. A lot of us live in a space of things happening to us. And in some states they do. But a lot of times, you know, it's, it really is how we show up and navigate through our lives. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. So is there a product that you're loving right now? I am really loving the face steamers. Okay. Ooh. So I love them because it's a nice way to give yourself a facial without having to sit still and give yourself a facial. And so a lot of time I tell my moms, you know, while you're typing, especially if you're working from home or you're folding clothes or you're doing something, you can literally plug in the steamer and steam your face and open up your pants and have a little bit of self-care. Yes. Stop everything you're doing to do something for yourself. And where can my listeners find you and um, work with you and follow your work? So you can go to my website, which is called mylocaltherapist.org. Or you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Naked Semester LCSW. Amazing. Nika, thank you so much. It was just a joy talking to you. And I really, really appreciate you giving us so much 
background, you know, from the statistics to your own personal experiences on how to navigate the bad things that can come out of wanting to have a baby that we we don't necessarily plan for. Because in the end, when you navigate them the right way, you are healed and you'll come out on top. Yeah. A big, big thank you to NECA for doing the work and advocating for all of her patients and helping them navigate the most troubling time of their lives so they can get through the other side. It's really, really noble what you're spending your life doing, NECA, and we appreciate you. Tune in to more episodes of the birthing series, only on That's Total Mom Sense. And you can see this on the website, thatstotalmomsense.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Good Pods. If you enjoyed the series, do rate, review, and share it with your friends. We'd love for more and more people to hear uh, these episodes and learn from these uh, experts because that's the only way that we can create change and knowledge is power. As always, trust your mom's sense and your dad's sense. Until next time, thank you. That's total mom sense.